Welcome to WFUV's What's What. It's Tuesday, May 2nd. What's What is a daily podcast that explores current events, culture, news, and hot topic issues in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And includes features and interviews exclusively from WFUV. I'm Rosie Lenz. And I'm Noah Osborne. Here are today's headlines. President Biden will end the remaining COVID-19 vaccine requirements next week. This is when coronavirus will no longer be considered a public health emergency. The government will be lifting vaccine requirements for educators, healthcare workers, and non-citizens at U.S. border territories. Vaccine requirements for federal workers, contractors, and foreign air travelers to the U.S. are set to end May 11th. Screenwriters went on strike early this morning. Directors behind the Writers Guild of America called for a walkout because of failed negotiations with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. The writers want fair pay and job stability. The strike is causing a number of productions to be delayed or cut short. It is unclear how long the strike will last. The last union strike was in 2007 and lasted 100 days. Today we are joined with WFUV's Maya Sargent. She's here to tell us about some arts and culture news. Tell us what's going on, Maya. Well, no, it's a big day for performers because nominations for the Tony Awards were announced this morning. They're the awards that celebrate the best of live theatre on Broadway. And this year's nominations include some big titles, especially for Best Musical, including Some Like It Hot, Kimberly Akimbo, New York, New York and Shucked. Some Like It Hot led the nominations, scoring 13 in total. That's the revival of the Hollywood classic with Tony Curtis and Marilyn Monroe. And close behind are Anne Juliet, New York, New York and Shucked with nine nominations. And Kimberly Akimbo and Sweeney Todd were awarded eight. So it's fair to say it's an incredibly strong lineup. There will definitely be some happy performers today. I think so too, Rosie, especially 19-year-old Justin Cooley from Kansas, who earned a nomination for his performance in Shucked. And also British actress Jodie Comer. And if her name sounds familiar, that's because you might know her from the TV series Killing Eve. Although she's never performed on Broadway before, she's received a Tony nomination for her one-woman show, Prima Facey, that's just transferred to Broadway from the West End. And when will the awards take place? They'll be held on June 11th at the United Palace Theatre, and it's looking like it will be an incredibly fierce competition. So I am very excited. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Sweeney Todd. Maybe these awards are going to come down to a razor's edge. So thanks for that, Maya. Thank you. Speaking of the stage, previews begin tonight for the play King James. It's about basketball legend LeBron James. The play explores his contributions to the city of Cleveland and his career. You can catch King James at New York City Center through June 18th. Rosie, I am crying. Oh, why is that, Noah? Aerosmith have announced their farewell tour, and I don't want to miss a thing. That's right. Aerosmith's Peace Out tour will feature most of the original lineup of the band, except Joey Kramer. The drummer says he'll sit out the tour to focus on his family and health. Aerosmith will be joined by rock band The Black Crows. The Peace Out Tour set to run from September to January of next year. Summer's bounty in New York City is right around the corner. And for urban foragers, that means it's time to get creative. Foraging is technically prohibited in the city, but a handful of New Yorkers have found loopholes in the system. WFUV's Megan Oftermat reported on anti-foraging legislation during the summer, and today she's back with a lay of the land for you. Wow, this is wow, the most wow. potent mint. Um, it's so that, potent. It's called chocolate I was going to say, it smells like chocolate. It smells like mole bitters. Okay, yeah. So it's like um, a licorice, slightly infused mint creates this... Sensation. So we're okay. wrapping this yes. strawberry in this chocolate mint. Yes. Cheers. Cheers. That was me in Brooklyn with Samuel Pressman, where we were foraging for food four stories above street level. We're sitting here on this rooftop food garden. Bundles of fragrant mint 
purple basil and furry sage erupt out of discarded wooden pallets. Onions and herbs peek out of holes drilled into gutters stuffed with soil. Instead of string lights, purple and green bean vines rope around the rooftop, decorating the space. We are surrounded by plants. Orange mint, peppermint, spearmint, basil, oregano, strawberries, sorrel, clover, parsley, sage. There's a reason why we're picking and eating edible plants up here and not down on street level. It has to do with the laws surrounding foraging, and not just here in New York, but all over the country. We'll come back to the rooftop in Brooklyn a bit later on, but first, I asked Balin Linekin to explain these laws to me. He's a lawyer who specializes in food law and policy, and he's written extensively about anti-foraging legislation. There's a blanket ban on foraging in city parks, and the city views even the picking of a berry uh, or of a dandelion to be damaging park property and, and plant life. Here's the blanket ban as written by the New York City Parks Department. No person shall deface, write upon, sever, mutilate, kill, or remove from the ground any plants, flowers, shrubs, or other vegetation under the jurisdiction of the department without the permission of the commissioner. That's absurd, but that's unfortunately the way that many cities across the country, states, uh, and even federal parks, national parks, view foraging. Anti-foraging rules aren't new. In fact, they go back centuries. The first uh, rules against foraging were put in place to push Native Americans off their lands. The same rules were implemented in the South after the Civil War to prevent newly freed slaves from foraging and then again in the 1880s in the Adirondacks to prevent poor white farmers from farming their lands. When the National Park Service was created in 1916, prohibiting foraging became the default. In the 60s, rules shifted to allow independent national park superintendents to establish their own regulations for individual parks. That's why, today, some parks allow foraging and others don't. But the changes that were made to those original anti-foraging mandates, they still excluded indigenous people. Racism, it's classism, colonialism or imperialism. Yeah, I think that there are certainly tinges of all of those uh, elements in anti-foraging laws today. Because of this, people are pushing to repeal anti-foraging laws in New York City. People like Mary Mattingly. Those are the things that I think are most important. Giving us agency in public space, access to fresh foods and healthy foods, and then also sharing the work of caring for the space. Mary's a visual artist, and she's been getting creative about growing and foraging food in New York for years. Back in 2016, she founded Swale. Swale was a traveling barge where people could forage for food. She also co-created the Bronx Concrete Park Foodway, where people can still go forage today. So learning about New York City's public land use and that it's illegal to forage on public land made me try to sort of rethink the barge project as a space where anyone could forage fresh foods for free. All of these projects have loopholes that allow for foraging. But Mary doesn't think it should be that hard. If another use was added to public parkland, then our food systems could look much different in the city. 
until those rules and regulations change, urban foragers have to get creative, which explains why I was on that roof in Brooklyn with Samuel. If we had learned about plants like we have been taught about, you know, mechanics or sports, we could realize that there's so much more edible food around us. Samuel doesn't want to oversimplify it. Look, not all plants are edible, and after centuries as an industrial center, the fact of the matter is, a lot of New York City's soil is contaminated and not safe for growing food. But there are ways around that. Mary and Samuel rely heavily on raised beds for growing food on their barges, islands, and rooftops. Imagine if we did have these types of containers lining streets or surrounding schools or even scattered throughout public parks where we don't really see a lot of food growing going on. Here on this rooftop, surrounded by edible plants, it isn't that hard to imagine city streets lined with raised beds of forageable foods. This foraging activity is actually much deeper and much easier. Most plants we can eat, we just don't realize it. Maybe then we wouldn't have to board a barge or ride the elevator to a rooftop to forage for edible plants in New York City. Maybe then foraging for food would just become a part of the daily commute. With WFUV News, I'm Megan Oftermat. That was WFUV's Megan Oftermat reporting on anti-foraging legislation in New York City. And that's our show for today. I'm Noah Osborne. And I'm Rosie Lenz. Check back with us tomorrow at 3 o'clock for more news, music, and culture. And tell your friends so they can find WFUV's What's What at WFUVnews.org and wherever you get your podcasts.